Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. Hello. Hello, friend. I received a book in the mail today. Oh, you did? Yes. Um, you know the little golden books for children? Oh, yes. Someone, I still don't know who, sent me Taylor Swift's biography in <laughs> the little golden books edition, which I did not know existed. I was going to say, my, my brain is trying to process so I much. I had no idea it existed, but Maggie walked up to me and was like, Mommy, look! And it's a little golden book's, like, hardcover yeah. book with oh, yeah. an animation of Taylor Swift, or an illustration of Taylor Swift on the front. And I was like, oh my goodness, who got that? And Kyle goes, you didn't order this? I was like, no. So, so did you see the packaging it showed up in? Kyle already opened it. It was oh. just in an Amazon or whatever. Like, our my mother-in-law sometimes sends stuff. Yeah. But... Also, Amazon has just sent us stuff before. Oh, really? Have you ever received books from Amazon just from them? Well, no. I, but I've received books from Miss K. Oh, for yeah. For our boys. Yeah. A, a very um, sweet and lovely lady that... I have received several that we of go those, church too. With. Yes. But she usually sends a note with yeah. those. But sometimes she has forgotten. But I've known they were from her. Whatever. I want to thank whoever sent me the Taylor Swift biography, a little golden book yeah. edition. I learned something new on like the first three pages. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I was like, this is honestly the coolest book. And Maggie oh. wanted me to read it to her. And I was like, yes, Kid- I will. Kids books, biographies are so fun. Like I used one that was on Coco Chanel for a paper. I oh, yeah. Once. Yeah. On the back of the book, you know how the little golden books have, like, other books that they offer on the back always? Oh, yeah. It has, like, the other biographies, which I, again, didn't know they even did. Wow. But there's a Bob Ross and a Dolly Parton. So if oh, anyone's wow. interested in a Bob Ross or a okay. Dolly Parton little golden books biography, those exist. That's cool. That, that back cover with all the others, that's uh-huh. Rowan's favorite part of all his books. Because he'll just point to them and say, oh, and I want that one and that one. It's like a catalog. Maggie likes doing <laughs> that, too. <laughs> yeah, so cool. Wow. Yeah, okay. So thanks for my book. <laughs> yeah. If if it was you, dear listener. <laughs> um, that's all I have for you except a very important question. I was, I was waiting. I was waiting. <laughs> did you ever keep a diary? And if you did, was it ever the Lisa Frank diary with the heart-shaped plastic lock that has a little key? <laughs> Yes and no. Oh, man. <laughs> I had many a diary. Um, like any, I feel like, girl growing up in the 90s. Yep. Uh, I watched Harriet the Spy with yeah. Michelle Trachtenberg and Rosie O'Donnell, and then I read the book, and then I was like, yes. Did you ever just, like, watch your neighbors and be, like, very suspicious? Yes, and it was like, <laughs> I'm sure they're so silly. I was never very good at keeping one. I would, I was a prolific diary beginner. Yeah. yeah. And I had many 
that were started and never finished. Now, my sister Rachel, she could keep up with a diary. Yeah. Like, she would keep it up for real. Um, I have since destroyed some of them out of sheer embarrassment when I was a teenager. But I also have others still. Yeah. I grew up with the little Lisa Frank ones with the mm -hmm. adorable heart-shaped plastic oh, lock yeah. with the unicorn on it or whatever. And then I graduated in middle school to, like, spiral-bound notebooks that you then decorate with stuff and oh, tape all the stuff on. Oh, right. Um, and my parents brought me some of these a couple <gasps> of years ago. There no were, way! Oh, my gosh. I read some of them and was mortified. And I think that I threw them away, but I, I meant to go up to the attic and see if I had decided to keep them uh, and read to you guys from oh, one of them. That would be So awesome. here's my promise to you and the listeners. I will go up to my attic this week and see if we have them. And if I did not throw them away, I will read to you from one of oh, my diaries. Oh, wow. I th I'm, maybe I'll go try and find one of mine. I think I have one in particular. I never had a Lisa Frank diary, and I'm... I hate that for you. I'm shocked by that. I had many Elisa Frank items. Yeah. Again, as any good girl in the 90s would. Yeah. But no, I had one that kind of looked like, um, you remember those Dear America bo books? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was in a club where I'd get one every month, and I had a diary that looked like a Dear America diary. Yeah, did they had... have, like, the ev the edges that weren't good? Yes, <laughs> and, like, the this vaguely Victorian-looking girl yes. on the front, you know? <laughs> um, I think that's the one I still have. But, man... I, I destroyed a lot of things out of sheer embarrassment when yeah. I was a teenager that I wish I hadn't. Luckily, I'm used to having shame in my feelings. <laughs> I um, so. so I read them and I was like, ah, uh, yeah, that, that completely checks out. I, this makes me think of, I had a series of letters, we'll call them, <laughs> that I wrote um, to a boy from camp back in the day. And, you not wrote, Brandon, not Brandon. Oh, I know, but like <laughs> you wrote letters to a boy. Yes, That's I did. such a me thing to do. I did. I didn't think um, you had it. He in initiated you. it. To okay. Be fair. Um, and I think I eventually got scared off by his feelings. Sure. But sure. we had letters back and forth, and we're friends now. Like we, well, we haven't talked in a long time. But he's a good guy. He's married, has a kid. I'm married and have a couple kids. But I had destroyed all of his letters out of sheer embarrassment at some yeah. point. And then I was like, oh, that's sad. I should have kept a few. And then Natalie was cleaning out <laughs> my yeah. old room before my parents moved. And she was like, Hannah, <laughs> I found this letter to you <laughs> from this guy. We all know. Tell me about this. <laughs> so, I am so glad that she found one. She found it. She brought it back to me. I still have it. So I'm glad like that one got shoved behind something and, and yeah so I still have that one I I'm not embarrassed by I mean I am embarrassed by my diaries but like sure I don't care about that embarrassment no, no. but I'm also a really minimalist person and I don't like oh, yeah. keeping things sure so I remember having it in my mind when my parents brought me this big stack of spiral bound notebooks what purpose are these ever going to serve? It's simply sentimental. I have no need for this, even though you might want to keep them, get rid of them. But I also might have thought, that's really interesting. I would probably love to read these yeah. when I'm 50. And I can't remember which Stephanie prevailed. Oh, no! And I just have to check the attic for them. Well, I know I have one of mine, so I'll bring mine. Okay. Um, you don't have a memory box? I do. Um, okay. I have one of... Of Europe and of past relationships. Oh, mine's just my life. Like, <laughs> I have a box that is, like, stuff I've gathered until about high school, and then I had to start another one because it got full, and that's yeah. got college stuff, and now I really need a new one. I mean, I have yeah. collections of things, but the only thing that I intentionally have a box for is my Europe box and my 
my ex's box. Oh, you've got like Lorelai. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, I did fun. that exact same thing. I was like, I know I'm going to want to not have thrown away this stuff, mm -hmm. but I literally can't look at it. And I gave it to my mom. Yeah, that's fair. That's yep. fair. Okay. Yeah, diaries. That The reason I <laughs> mentioned it at all is because this week's book is... I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. <laughs> Which is written in the form of diary yes. entries. Yes, it's actually broken up into three parts um, that are labeled according to the diary that she was writing in at the time. This is one of the quotes I had to print out. It came out in gibberish. I don't understand why. So looking it up. Some of her notes printed in like wingdings. <laughs> I don't, not all of them, just some of them. Not sure what happened. Um, yes, the story takes place between March and October and the book is split into three sections. The six penny book, the shilling book, and the two guinea book. Yep. yep. Um, which kind of also shows you the financial progression of the family. Um, not that we're familiar with these British yes. uh, denominations, a, but a guinea. they're increasing in yes. worth. <laughs> so anyway, do you want a summary? Sure. Okay. I mean, I bet our listeners, I don't want a summary, but oh. I bet your listeners <laughs> want sure. a summary. <laughs> I had a lot of fun writing one for this one. I, I like this book a lot. Um, okay. So Cassandra Mortmain, she's our main character. She is the diarist. Oh, of the book. Is that a is that a word? It is. Now. Okay. I think it is, but I. I, mean, I believe of, you. It's one of those I've read, but I don't think I've said aloud often. Why would one need to? Except right <laughs> <I don't>, now, because <laughs> now it's like you're a blogger. You're not a yeah. diarist. Um. Anyway, so Cassandra Mortmain's life in the English countryside of the 1930s would sound quirky and idyllic if it wasn't so depressing. <laughs> Her father. A writer suffering from severe writer's block invested the last of the family's money from his first success, which was a book called Jacob's Wrestling, a, quote, difficult modernist novel. He invested their money in this crumbling castle where the book gets its name. And so the family now lives there, eking out a meager existence on their dwindling funds. Um, Cassandra's kind but clueless stepmother, Topaz. <laughs> I love the name. Yeah, she's a former artist model. She copes by communing with nature and being just generally very floaty and whimsical. And Cassandra's older sister, Rose, hopes to become like one of the heroines of her beloved Austin or Bronte novels, meeting a handsome, preferably rich young bachelor to turn the tide of the family's fortune. Oh, and there's Stephen. The son of their former maid, who is like a second son and in love with Cassandra, but who she describes as, let me see here, <laughs> um, noble looking, but his expression is just a fraction daft. Just a fraction daft. So, and there's also the youngest Mortmain child, Thomas, her younger brother. And so the family is languishing in the English countryside, and as they are doing so, an American family called the Cottons moves in next door and i use next door loosely because <laughs> it's the british countryside next door is like a half mile away yeah it's like in as much as you can use next door to mean the neighboring castle or manor house <laughs> that's what we're talking about um so they're pretty well off and they have you guessed it two sons <laughs> to go with the two mortmain daughters they have a serious brooding older son simon and their younger carefree niall neil Neil? Neil. I said that wrong. <laughs> anyway. I listened to the audiobook and all of a sudden I was like, how did they say it? I'm uh, pretty sure they I said I like Neil. lapsed into British. <laughs> but he's American. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So all the makings of a traditional English marriage plot are there, right? 
Um, but none of it turns out the way anyone expects, including Cassandra, um, as she records all of her observations in her journals, attempting to, quote, capture not only the castle where she lives, but her own coming of age saga. And then my last bit of the summary I'm going to take from Evie Wilde's um, review in The Guardian because she says it better than I do. Okay. Rose behaves at first like a demented Bennett sister in order to woo Simon before the whole thing accelerates into a kind of surreal farce involving a fur coat mistaken for a bear and everyone realizing they're actually in love with everyone else. <laughs> yes. The end. So there's your summary of I Capture the Castle. Brandon asked me before we came, what do you think Stephanie's going to think about this book? <laughs> I'm glad he asked me because... You always inevitably do, and I never have a ready answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of our bit that I'm going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's it has elements of O Caledonia, which you liked, but mm -hmm. it's missing the gothic element that you liked. And you gave O Caledonia a four star, right? I think three and a half. Maybe, okay, three and a half. So you didn't, I'm going to say you didn't like it as much as O Caledonia. So. I think you gave it two and a half. I gave it a one. Oh, boy! I thought we might have broken our podcast with liking each other's books too much. Okay. We're back. Okay, We've okay. We've not ruined our own bit. Oh, this I is interesting. I hated this book. Okay, okay. Well, tell me about it. Um, so I did listen to the whole thing on audio, which we have discussed can impact whether or not you like something. But I tried, sure. I knew that I did not have access to a physical right. copy. So I tried to not allow the audio to influence yeah, me gotcha. anyway. You had no way of knowing this, as I did not know that you hate space or oh. dust bowls or dust bowls in space. Oh, please tell me. I hate diary format novels. <gasps> really? Yes. Okay. You're cool with, with letters, like the coquette, yeah, but not I, a diary. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's fair. And, like... It depends on how it's done. There's an right. exception to everything. Gone Girl has diary entries and it's done masterfully. I think it's wonderful. But, but it's not just diary entries. No, it's right. not just diary entries. For the most part, I don't think that it is usually done well and the format annoys me to no end. Oh, well, you were in a deficit then <laughs> from the beginning. Diaries are your space dust bowls. Gotcha. Yes. <laughs> I did not know that. Interesting. Yeah, and the thing is, I'm not sure that I knew this about myself. I no. wouldn't have known to tell you that until I was like, man, the format really bothered me of this book. Well, there here are three other books I've read, and I was like, man, I hated that and all them too. So I feel like there's no balance between the diary entries stretching credibility or being way too credible. Like, in a real diary, in my Lisa Frank diary, uh, yeah. like... Right. Or even, let's say, my 16-year-old spiral-bound notebook to compare it to something else. I was not including long descriptions and then mm -hmm. back-and-forth dialogue. Like, it strains credulity to be like, this is how a diary is written. And so it always bothers me when we come back to it and I'm like, no one wrote that in their diary. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I didn't. I maybe sure that's didn't. dumb to like be upset about, but like the format of no. being believable matters to me. And it always just really annoys me because it definitely goes into this like, oh, really? You wrote a 14-page diary yeah. entry with back-and-forth dialogue and long descriptions of what other people were doing, and, like, you always forget it's a diary entry until you get to the next one. You're like, wait. That whole thing I just read was supposed to be just August 14th. Right. And 
it just irks Who me. Who has the time to sit down yeah. and write this long of an entry? <laughs> and that's just not how you write diaries, usually. That's not what they're for. It's not how I write diaries. Right. And then, if it doesn't strain credulity by being way too accurate, it's excessively boring. But all of my old diaries are boring. <laughs> because you know what people write about their diaries? Dumb, mundane stuff yeah. that's exclusively from their perspective and doesn't factor in rich details or other people's conversations. So it's either fake or incredibly dull. This one managed to do both somehow. <laughs> <laughs> do you think? Do you think we feel that way because we're living in like the 21st century? Like this book was written in the 40s and set in the 30s. Do you think people did write longer, more descriptive diaries? I mean, I don't have maybe, an answer. Maybe. Let's try and find a historical diary so <laughs> that we can compare it. I think even if you did write really long entries, it it sounds like a novel. It's novel format. Like, that just, to mm. me, doesn't feel Like, accurate. just a first-person novel. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. This book in particular was, like, every new chapter is an entry, and it's like, mm -hmm. here I am, writing in my diary, this is the kind of book I'm writing in, and this is how much it costs, and this is what my handwriting looks like. I haven't done much today, diary, but I did do one thing. You'll never believe what. It was so exciting. But in order to tell you, I need to go back to the beginning and start with some really tedious detail that you don't care about to bring you up to speed. And by the time I get to the actual event, you're not going to care anymore. Write again soon, XOXO. And I was just like, Cassandra, stop. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's pretty accurate. I like the, de the tedious <laughs> details. And I, well, you keep going. I'll ask questions later. <laughs> um, I did think that this was really funny from my own diaries. I flipped through them and found that many, many times I had written five pages of a novel. And the whole, oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> which I have no recollection of. And they're also not sure. novels. <laughs> sure. Um, but it was really funny that Cassandra's like, I'm writing in this journal so that I can train myself to be a better writer and be a novelist. And I was like, man, no wonder I hate this girl with the same. <laughs> <laughs> it might be one of those, like, you're two similar things, and so I hated her. Yep. But... She says that in the first paragraph. She's like, I tried to write poetry. It was bad. So I'm trying this. <laughs> and I was like, that's why keeping a diary to become a better writer is an exercise and not an actual novel that people mm -hmm. have to read. I hope that it made your writing better than what I just read, Cassandra. So, yeah, the format irked me. That's that's fair. That's um, fair. That's a we taste. had horrible characters. Oh, yeah. Horrible characters. So the family is so poor that they're starving to death, and absolutely no one thinks, what if I got a job? Nope. <laughs> Not anyone. They're talking about, like, we have, quote-unquote, tea, which is just a hard-boiled egg, and then we have to wait until breakfast where we, like, drink warm bone broth. Yes. They are actually starving. They've sold off all of their furniture. Mm -hmm. They, like, don't have chairs to sit in. And no one thinks, what if I earned a living? Yep. They, can I, I share a quote? Yes. This is Cassandra talking about herself <laughs> and her family. We are a sorry lot. Father moldering in the gatehouse, Rose raging at life, Thomas, well, he is a cheerful boy, but one cannot but know that he is perpetually underfed. <laughs> yeah, so 
Fair. <laughs> yeah. So the father wrote a novel a long while back, and it did pretty well, and they've essentially been living off of that yep. since then. Yep. But he hasn't written anything else, and the royalties from that book have stopped coming in. And the, his whole shtick is, I can't get myself to write another book. Then do something else. <laughs> I understand being a stuck novelist and not having another book in you. Do something else. And Topaz very briefly was like an artist model, but then right. she was like, people get handsy and I'm not sure I get bored with it now. Hey, fair. I don't like a job where people sexually assault me either. <laughs> do something else. Rose is just like, no, I don't think so. It's not even, I could do something else or I don't have skills. She just goes hard pass. I, <laughs> yeah. I do not wish to work. No. Nope. And Cassandra doesn't even ask herself the question. She's like, I'm not part of this conversation. This has nothing to do with me. I think she mentions at one point, I was trying to find it in, in my notes and I don't think I wrote it down, but she, she like evaluates all of their earning potential <laughs> where it's basically like, yeah, I have no skills, neither does Topaz, Rose can't even sew, um, so here we are. Yeah. <laughs> so, they all sit around writing in diaries and doing crossword puzzles and being like, help me, I'm poor. It was so entitled and so gross. They're just these wealthy people who have fallen on great, uh, like, fallen from grace and don't, they would rather die than work to get themselves out of their circumstances. Like, that's actually their options. They would rather die than work. Yeah. So their solution is the servant boy who they have never paid. Oh, Who Steven. lives with them. Mm -hmm. He goes and gets a job, which I'm sure is not a, you know, super skilled job. He doesn't have much of an education. So really anyone with a working body could have done it. But no, they send the servant boy who they don't pay to go earn an income and give it to them. Yeah. It's disgusting. I also, I, I, I mean, yes, if this were happening today, I would definitely feel like that. I don't know enough about the social climate of 1930s England <laughs> right? to know what options were available to them, especially the women. Certainly, Father Mortmain could have done could have something. Done something. But, like, even Topaz and the girls, I'm like, what was available to them? Well, at the very end of the book... She's like, I could go and take, like, shorthand classes and I could be oh, right. uh, an author's secretary. All of a sudden, she knows about a work that one could do for money. Yeah. So, and they talked about being secretaries or, like, typing or whatever. Like, they could have done something. It would have been menial and they probably would have had to learn a skill. Yeah. But they were dying. Yes. So one would think that you might try that. Yeah, and I, I get what you're saying about it being gross, but I read it too as because I know there's been, <laughs> because I've watched enough Downton Abbey, <laughs> uh, I know that the emergence of the middle class in Great Britain was different than here. And so, like, this idea of, well, I'm not working class doing those, quote, menial jobs, but I obviously am not doing well enough to be aristocratic what, what what am I? What do I do? And yeah. where am I valued? Or you know, and I know throughout the book they travel a little more and have more opportunities to see what's out there for them. So I don't know. Yeah. It it to me. I mean, you keep saying they were dying, and so I'm think like 
it just to me kept reminding me of like the dying aristocracy yeah. in England of like, yes, your kind is going out and <laughs> being replaced by the middle class. I understand that there were social dynamics at play that are mm-hmm. not the same as today. I still find it inexcusable. Yeah. Um, so it's not like any of them are doing anything around the house either. Like Topaz oh, no. doesn't keep house. Steven does after he gets home from his job yes. that pays for their food. Because <laughs> by the way, they've never been charged rent. Yeah. <laughs> for this castle. For this castle. And Rose is like, you know what? I'll trick a rich man into marrying me. Yes, and everyone that... is like, "What a good idea! How selfless of you to sacrifice yourself for the family." We wish you luck. Yep. So the father makes no effort whatsoever to provide for the family, and then maybe has an affair. I don't remember. He this gets part. like, it's implied that he's getting way too close to Mrs. Cotton or whatever. Oh, I vaguely remember that part. So. Rose moves forward with an engagement to Simon, even though she does not like him at all. Simon, who does love Rose, kisses Rose's sister, Cassandra, which is inconvenient because Cassandra is in love with him, her sister's fiancé, but he does not love her back, so Cassandra kisses Stephen, even though she knows that Stephen loves her, knowing that she'll never return his feelings. Simon's best friend, Neil, is a jerk to Rose the whole book until he runs away with her before Rose can marry his best friend. And all of that sounds like a soap opera and that it might be interesting, but it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was very interesting. How do you do all of that and still make me so bored? (laughs) You know, I always thought this is... This is the conversation I thought we would be having when we started this podcast. I I thought I would just make you bored. This just, more than anything, just made me bored. Like, I don't believe a book has to have likable characters, so if it had been really interesting, I could have gotten past the fact that they all sucked as humans and deserved to be starving. Um... I have read books before that had the diary format, and I was like, okay, but I got past it and whatever. <laughs> I was just so bored. <laughs> That's It's very English. It's very dry. There's an abridged version on Libby. Is there really? That is five hours long. And then there's a further abridged version on Libby that is two hours long. And I think that was a good impulse. <laughs> what? How long was the original? Ten. Okay. All right. Someone took this 10-hour story and said, you know Five what? Hours. I can give it to you in two. Wow. And okay. I think that was interesting. accurate. Okay, interesting. So, like, I went on Libby to be like, do they have this book? And the first one that comes up is a two-hour thing, and I was like, that can't be it. Like, how? <laughs> That's so funny. I had no idea. I I almost just believed it. I was like, this feels untrue. I mean... <laughs> A two-hour book? Would Hannah really offer me, like, a pamphlet for one of our... (laughs) The Reynolds pamphlet. (laughs) And so I decided to check Audible and be like, I'm going to compare their audio version and see how long that is. And it was like... very responsible It was like, nah, that's abridged. (laughs) It's like those great illustrated classics you get (laughs) as a kid that... Yeah. And then I was like, man, I really wish it was two hours. (laughs) I'm curious. I really want to know what the two-hour version includes. I mean, if you're boiling this story down to plot, I... It's not a bunch. No, and 
that's not why I read this book either. This so. book is definitely not for the plot, yeah. but I also hated the rest of it. Sure. <laughs> so that's interesting to me. So barely anything happened, and what did happen was described in such a boring way that it is it is as if it had not happened at all. That's fine. You can feel that way. And then You're it, allowed. And then it ends. No yeah. one's happy. Well, I love the ending. Okay. Well... <laughs> You can talk about that now. I, I will do that. Do you have anything else? <laughs> nope, to that, okay. that was it. I feel like that abridged version, like, exists for those high school kids that get assigned this, but I've also yeah. never heard of a, of a high school kid getting assigned to this book. Right, right. <laughs> So I have no idea. <laughs> um, anyway, I don't Just even... Just really glad I didn't only do the two-hour version and show up yeah. and be like, I don't know, it was a... Like, um... Shirley from Community. Oh, I saw Pulp Fiction on a plane once. It's a 30-minute film about a man who eats hamburgers and quotes the Bible. That's what no, this book is. Shirley. Oh, baby Shirley. <laughs> okay, well, I guess I'll start with my reading experience for this book. Um, it holds a special place in my heart. I randomly picked it up out of boredom one day. So perhaps... I was not bored because I was already bored. Maybe you just have to be already dying of boredom um, for this book to excite I think you. I would have liked it anyway, but it is a certain, like, it's a mood book. Like, mm -hmm. I gotta be in the mood for a book like this. It's definitely about the atmosphere and the voice. Um, it feels like you're playing house with a bunch of British people. Like, that's, <laughs> and I, I would like to do that, so. Yeah. Um, but I would, it was this time of year, like, late April, early May, and we were doing perhaps my least favorite thing on the planet, which was standardized testing. Oh, yeah. And you're not supposed to read during those when you're proctoring. I break that rule every year. <laughs> it's my silent protest. Um, but I didn't have, like, I had just finished my most recent book. I was mm -hmm. like, what do I do? And I wandered into our library, and they always have <laughs> this shelf of discard books that they're just, like, throwing away. <laughs> <laughs> that makes so much sense to me. And I, and it was, like, a very old copy. The cover was discolored, but I had heard about it from um, an English professor that I had. Actually, he and his wife generously let me borrow their book, and I kept it for a year and never read it, and so gave it back to them out of shame. Um, <laughs> I've done that. But I was like, oh, this is the book that, oh, I'll pick this up, and I can keep it when I'm done. And I loved it. It was enchanting. And that's so funny that you were so bored that you went and picked up a trash book and found this exciting. All of that makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> Every step of the way, I'm with you. <laughs> I It was like, it was enchanting to me. It put me in a good mood. Like, I remember driving home in the springtime sunshine just thinking about it. And, um, and it was also late April, early May of 2019. Oh. No, 2018. My last spring and summer before having children. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like a very calm time. Um, remember that level of peace? I didn't, I did not appreciate it when I was experiencing it. So, like, I look back, you know, and that whole summer was filled with, you know, excitement about becoming a mom. And so that was kind of, like, some of my last memories. So that's why it holds a nice, a nice place yeah. in my heart. I don't know. Do you want me to talk about the book first or do you want me to tell you about Dodie Smith and its publication? That's totally up to you. Um, okay. Well, we're already talking about the book. I got, the main thing I like about the book is Cassandra's voice. Mm -hmm. Um, her voice is very interesting to me, uh, and very, I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and it was also very, very British, very dry. Yeah. <laughs> and like, he, here's a little excerpt for you. <laughs> this was when she had just become so miserable and so heartsick, mm -hmm. right? She writes, I wanted to fling myself down in the mud and beat my way into the ground. 
But, she remarks, I had just enough sense to know what I should look like after trying. <laughs> and then later writes, I found myself going round leaning against walls. I can't think why misery makes me lean against walls, but it does. <laughs> I don't like, remember that line, but it's good. Cassandra, that's that's <laughs> I nice. I just can't even hold myself up anymore. I'll lean against this wall. Uh, yeah, I'm te- and like that's something I feel like that's very Victorian in the East, <laughs> but it's like also ridiculous, and so she's calling it out as ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was not as repulsed by their what I'm gonna call genteel poverty <laughs> because yeah. it's just of this other time and place that is so displaced from my own that it. Just seemed like a separate world to me. Sure. And I was like, oh, dying aristocrats. <laughs> They're there. They're sitting there on their floor where the settee used to be. Yes. Going, oh. It's if, just a vibe that If worked. only we had tea and biscuits like we used to. Yeah. <laughs> it talks about, like, they don't have real biscuits for tea. So no. they have, like, oat cakes that are just, like, Ugh. oat and water. <laughs> And for fun and diversion, one day they dye all their clothes green. Yeah. You know, to feel like they have new clothes. Yeah. Dad comes down the stairs with his crossword and is like, oh, are these the only biscuits we have? These tacky little oat biscuits? Okay. Yeah. And then just walks back upstairs and I'm like, go to work! It's, I mean, it's it's like the exact opposite of what you made me read last week. Like, this is <laughs> happening during the 30s, the Great Depression, and they are living in poverty and dying, but it's like... We're going to deal with it by dyeing our clothes and <laughs> pretending and just like... Everything is fine. I can deal with this better. <laughs> I wonder if I can marry rich. <laughs> yep. yep. And then, oh, look, these handsome American boys move in. Um, I also like coming-of-age books. Yeah. And this is Cassandra's coming-of-age book. That I'll talk about the ending later. Um, but also how it subverts the traditional Victorian marriage plot. Mm-hmm. So, have you heard this term, the marriage plot? I have. It's also a book by yes. Jeffrey Eugenides. I thought it was Eugenides. I don't know. Oh. He's Greek, right? Yeah. Okay. You can look it up. I think it's probably Eugenides then, if he's Greek. Eugenides? Mm-hmm. You know, I think I looked up its pronunciation like a week ago when I was prepping for this, but it has since left my brain. So. <laughs> Anyway, that's an actual term used in literary criticism about a lot of those Victorian-era novels, like by the Bronte sisters and Jane Austen and George Eliot. Where, where essentially the book is, like, about getting married? Yes. Like, you have, you know, these these toils and these troubles with these characters, but eventually you know it's going to end in marriage. And it <laughs> came... That was actually a reformulation during its time of, like, the medieval romance tropes because those were only for the very upper class like the you know in those medieval stories you had knights and mate right. you know well-to-do maidens whereas the victorian era novel was like helped kind of with the emergence of the middle class like everyone is worthy of love everyone can have a happy ending here you okay go. so it was kind of cool for its time some of them are still problematic if you read pamela like this is a little <laughs> problematic um but for its time it was doing yeah it was doing a thing and that's also why I think a lot of those Victorian novels come across very earnest to us. Yeah. Um, right. But this book is then, like, I feel like taking it a step further and subverting it. Yeah. Because, yes, you have all these characters that should be paired up, like, you know, Jane and Lizzie Bennet with Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy. Like, that is what should happen with the Mortmain girls and the Cotton Boys. That's not what happens. Nope. <laughs> at all. Um, and it's not, but it's not a sad ending. Either yeah. to me, um, and you mentioned, you mentioned Rose and 
and Neil. Neil. <laughs> running away and like he had hated her the whole time. But this He'd been mean to her the whole time. He, been, he obviously had not hated her the whole time. It was such a cool when I read this book, it was like I I didn't audibly do this because I was giving a test. But um, <laughs> it was like, oh, all of that there was like I wanted a whole nother book immediately of like what was going on in Rose and Neil's heads because I felt like they were into each other from the beginning, but it was like picking at each other and yeah. doing all that. And then suddenly you realize, oh, that's what's been going on. But I didn't know because I'm just in Cassandra's diary. And yeah. she didn't see it. So that was cool. I get that. And I was, like, happy for them that, like, yeah. that Rose ended up marrying for love and not for I money. I mean, I guess, is he rich, too? I mean, I mean, technically, Simon's the older one, so he's going to... Right, he's going to inherit, like, the land or whatever. And Neil wants to be in America. And so right. she doesn't get her, I'm going to marry the person, quote-unquote, next door. He's going to inherit all his land and will be rich together. She marries someone pretty well off, but leaves her home country and, you know, right. loves him. So it she has that redeeming thing about her at the end. Yeah, and then Cassandra, like, Simon kisses her. So it's like she's pining for him while Stephen's pining for her. Mm-hmm. But then Simon kisses her, and then she's like, do I love you? I don't actually know. And he's like, I might love you. And she's like, yeah, I got to think about it. Okay. <laughs> um <laughs> Because the ending is pretty ambiguous. Yeah. It ends where a diary ends, which is just that it ends. And this was something that um, Evie Wilde talked about in her review for The Guardian that I mentioned earlier. Her article is called A Story with Sex and Money at Its Heart. (laughs) And it really, it's about, it's a coming of age novel. It's about Cassandra finding her voice and figuring out who she is, both like sexually and also economically and realizing like where her family stands Mm -hmm. and how that affects her desires as well as her hopes for the future. And so it ends on this very ambiguous um, note where she writes, perhaps it would really be rather dull to be married and settled for life. Liar, it would be heaven. (laughs) So it's like she doesn't know what she wants. She's 17. Yeah. Only half a page left now. Shall I fill it with I love you, I love you? No, even a broken heart doesn't warrant a waste of good paper. <laughs> so, like, you can see this, you know, it's it's not about her finding love. It's about her finding herself. Yeah. Which I think is the subversion of the marriage plot and taking it one step further from the Victorian novel. Instead of finding someone, I'm finding myself. And I can respect that. And I love that journey for her. Yeah. I just didn't like reading it. Yeah, you don't want to go on it with her. Yeah. Um and because I've read a lot of those, like, I picked up on that when I was yeah. reading it. And I liked that in the end, it's not very tidy. Like, no, Stephen is doesn't get Cassandra, but he kind of has something with someone and he goes off and finds a career. So he's like, I had my life's first big major disappointment other than Crush maybe starving yeah. to death. But, like, <laughs> sure. I, but I'm going to move on. And Cassandra has her first big major disappointment, but she's going to move on. And Rose, you know... Everyone just kind of goes like, ah, eh, well, that that's life. Sometimes you do not get what you want. Yep. Tomorrow, another day. And I also, I see what you were saying about, like, the entitlement and the grossness of them. But I also just, like, found her bluntness funny and fascinating. <laughs> and she was, I mean, she was just being very authentic. Yeah. Like you would hope one would be in a diary. Right. And it was sometimes off-putting, but also really funny. I'm sure um, my diary entries are off-putting. That's why no one should read yeah, them. Yeah. Well, like, so they're renting this castle for 40 pounds a year, technically, but actually the landlord has never Collected made them pay. It. 
And so she writes in her diary that he always sent us a ham at Christmas, whether we paid the rent or not. He died last November, and we have sadly missed the ham. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, I don't know that I'd want to be friends with you, but reading your diaries, I think you would be obnoxious to hang out with. But yeah. mm-hmm. um, so I read another review on Vox from Constance Grady. Why I Captured the Castle has gained a secret cult of book fo- book lovers because mm-hmm. this is one of those. It's kind of like Winesburg, Ohio. Like it's lots got of this, people like it. It's got this <clears throat> little group of literature lovers that really like it, and I think she captures what I like best in her in her um, review. I Capture the Castle is a book about reading and a book about the history of the English novel and how different formations of the novel butt up against each other and fight, which is catnip to a certain kind of reader. But what makes it so compelling is the voice of its narrator. Thoughtful, funny, and eminently lovable Cassandra. So, and the, you know, the things she's talking about that are butting up against each other are the Victorian, you know, marriage plot novel and then the modernist novel kind of coming to each other. So I liked that intersection of it. Um, and I just, I just had fun with it, to be honest. I can respect what this book was doing. I did not think it was fun to read. That's fair. (laughs) I wondered, as I was reading some of these reviews, like, will people that don't like literature love it? Because it was recommended to me by my literature professor, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So. If you're not, if you're reading for entertainment... You're probably not going to like it. If you're reading it for thinking about literature, sure. There's I mean, stuff in there. I also thought it was entertaining. I it, think some people could find it entertaining. It wasn't like... I wasn't actively dissecting it this hard while I was reading right. it. I was having a good time. I can see how other people would find it entertaining. I simply did not. Right. Um, but like Ocaledonia, Jenny Han... It, so, let me back up. With Ocaledonia, Maggie O'Farrell used that book as her litmus test of friends. Jenny Han has been quoted as using this book as hers. <laughs> um, she wrote in the New Forward that whenever she finds someone that also loves I Capture the Castle, she has found a kindred spirit. You know, so <laughs> This is how I know my people. Yes. Um, so that's about the book. You want to know some things about Dodie Smith? Tell I, me because I know nothing. I bet you don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know a lot either, and I was surprised by some of the things that I found. So she was born in 1896. They should make a little golden books. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anything. How else to teach us? Let me tell you, dear <laughs> dear little child, sit down and let me weave you a tale. <laughs> so Dodie Smith, she was born in 1896, died in 1990. It's a ripe old wow. age. Um, this is not her most famous work or novel, I guess. Her most famous is 101 Dalmatians. What? Yes, she wrote that novel. That Disney then immortalized. Well, I never. Well, then Disney should definitely. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to get there. Okay. Here we go. Um, So just her life. She was an only child. Her father died when she was two. And so she grew up with her mother and her grandparents for a while. And her first love was the theater. This came from her grandfather. She really loved the theater. She wrote her first play at 10, supposedly. Um, But her mother remarried and they moved to London when she was 14, where her mother was also attempting to be an actress. I do not know how successful she was. But that helped, again, foster Dodie Smith's love of the theater. And that's what she originally was. She was a playwright. And a pretty successful one in the late 1920s in England. I don't know a lot about the history of English theater, but if you do, you've probably heard her name. Cool. Um, she She made enough from her writing that, like, she was able to buy her own house. And she was not married. And this is, you know, yeah, 1920s, 30s. So... 
doing all right for herself. She was working at a furniture store at the time she published her first play. And like the news headline said, shop girl writes play. <laughs> shop girl <laughs> writes so, play. Um, <laughs> she got married to a close friend and her business manager, Alec Beasley, in 1939. And they ended up moving to the U.S. during World War II because he was a conscientious objector. Sure. And that is where she wrote her first novel, I Capture the Castle. Okay. Um, she was homesick. For England, uh, they were they lived in like Pennsylvania and Vermont and California. I think she wrote this while she was in Pennsylvania, um, but so a lot of her homesickness comes out in it. Yes, let me write something quintessentially British. Yes, very about British. Fields and rain and crumbling castles. Yep, yep, very British. But it was pretty successful. I'll talk separately about its publication. She also had success, of course, from. 101 Dalmatians, which was published in 1956, so about 10 years later. But then after that, her fortunes kind of dwindled. And at one point, I one of the things I read said, like, she had to use all the money from one of her later books to buy some new coats. <laughs> you know, like, they just weren't doing great. But Interesting. She, she seemed happy enough. Um, at the age of 73, uh, she... An interviewer wrote that her deepest pleasures now were reading over breakfast, reading over coffee after lunch with Alec, getting into a warm pre-supper bath with a book, and reading in bed. <laughs> I was like, you know, when I'm 73... I hope that's what I'm doing. That sounds all right. But then juxtapose that with a sentence from Cassandra in sure. I Capture the Castle. I have discovered that the first few minutes are the best and not to be wasted referring to reading a book in the bath. Uh, my brain always seethes with ideas and life suddenly looks much better than it did. <laughs> so... Um, I remember that passage about her reading a book in the bath. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she, when she died, um, Dodie Smith was cremated and had her ashes scattered to the wind. And she made our good friend Julian Barnes... Oh! Her, her literary executor... I can never say that word. The person who executes yeah. your will... I guess you can have a separate one for your literary stuff. Actually, maybe that was just a fancy way of saying he dealt with her estate because her husband died like three years before she yeah. did. So anyway, that's her life in a nutshell. <laughs> of course, uh, an author we've previously discussed scattered the ashes. Well, I don't know if he did the scattering, <laughs> but he ha had a hand in her like literary legacy. <laughs> anyway... Um, but this novel, I Capture the Castle, was her first novel. She had written many successful plays. This novel was published in 1948, even though she started writing it in 1940. When she first submitted it for publication, she had requested that it be published anonymously and that the cover page read, I Capture the Castle by Cassandra Mortmain. Oh. So she wanted it to seem like a real diary. Yeah, um, I kind of like that vibe. And when she was 90 and being interviewed by the London Observer, she said, of all my books and plays, I think I like Castle best. I wrote myself into Cassandra. So she very much is Cassandra from all accounts of people that knew her, which apparently made this book very hard for her to write. Oh, yeah. she, she really struggled with it. Of course, she was also living in America and homesick, but she said, quote, never, never have I suffered so over any piece of work. Sometimes I would spend two hours without getting one short paragraph of revision right. <laughs> so she did not think it would be a bestseller. Neither did her editor. And I have to share this quote with you since we've talked about Book of the Month before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she was dismayed when the Literary Guild, a somewhat lowbrow Book of the Month style organization, ordered 40,000 copies in advance and asked her to change the ending. She refused and said, quote, 
I see how dangerous to the integrity of the author these book clubs are. <laughs> so I hope Book of the Month Club doesn't call people and be like, hey, change the ending. So we know that 101 Dalmatians was made into a movie yeah. by Disney. Disney also had the rights to I Capture the Castle. Okay. They were planning on making it into a movie starring Haley Mills, who was in the original Parent Trap and Pollyanna. Oh, yeah. All those older Disney movies. They were going to make this movie, but for various reasons, it did not happen. But being Disney, they retained those rights. Yeah. Until, like, past her death. And Julian Barnes was the one that finally got them to release the rights. Okay. Which is why it was finally made into a movie in 2003. I know nothing about it. I'm Again, not sure if it's gonna, any good. We're going to have to watch Sense of an Ending and uh, this one. I, I don't know if I'm very excited about this one. Um, <laughs> I'm not. But, yeah. I imagine it would be very boring. So that's what I meant when I said, you know, Disney, we'd come back to that. But, yeah, that's, that's about Dodie Smith and her journey with I Capture the Castle. Okay. You want to read some one-star reviews? Do I ever? Do we have some strawberry jam? I think so. Oh, cool. Um, so here's the first one, and it's kind of long, and then several little bitty short ones okay. after that. You want me to start with the long one? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Just seeing on your notes, deathly boring. That's funny. <laughs> um, so this is from Joe. One cannot even blame the times this book was written in because even though no woman has ever had a backbone pre-2012, one still hopes they would at least starve to death before lowering themselves to marrying Americans, for <laughs> goodness sake. The characters are all facsimiles of the lower upper middle class. Lower upper middle class. Yep. Okay. Yep. Of England, who probably had a bit of old money capitalized, tucked away, but spent it all on a charming castle. Because, well, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> the castle was the best character of the whole piece. <laughs> it's like the dust. The dust. <laughs> that thing had style and sophistication, and that's saying something, considering it was half caved in and needed blowing up with C4, let alone new wallpaper. What more can be said? I think it was an attempt to be satirical at the posh knobs in the same way Cold Comfort Farm was. I don't have I no don't, idea what that I is. I don't know that either. And maybe tried its hardest to be a kind of new wave post-Victorian classic saga of life and love, but was also denouncing those flouncy writers who bloody loved the countryside too much. How dare they when they lived in the Industrial Revolution and the countryside didn't even exist anymore. But sadly, it was nothing but utter toilet bowl water. <laughs> I just liked how she got going at the end. She was like, there was no punctuation. I was like, I, I don't even know going. what you're saying anymore, but I respect that you're this passionate about she it. She mentioned satirical, and like, we didn't even mention the the absurd things that also happen in this book. Name a few. Like when Cassandra and Rose... Gets mistaken for a bear? <laughs> yes. The, oh. the one thing they have of value are some fur coats that are packed away in some other town. <laughs> so they go get them to impress the cotton boys. <laughs> and when they come back, they're like in a field wearing these fur coats. Oh, it's better. They're like riding a train or a bus back. Yeah. And they realize that the Cotton Brothers are on the same bus or whatever. Oh, and, yeah. And they what don't, do? They don't want to be seen. So they get into the luggage compartment. <laughs> That's right. And That's right. And when they go to get their luggage, they think a bear has gotten into the luggage compartment and everyone goes and gets their <laughs> guns. And so they chase this <laughs> fallen aristocrat in a 
fur coat, thinking it's a bear. That's right. And everyone's like, get your pitchforks and your guns and let's and go chase the, the bear. Thing, that's the thing that, like, breaks the ice between them and the cotton boys. Yep. It's like, oh, we didn't like you before, but you're funny now. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was like, you. what kind of fur coat is this where they're like, that's know. definitely a bear and not a woman in an know. average coat. That, and then there's when Cassandra and her brother Thomas lock her dad, lock her dad in the because... tower to get him to write stuff. Yeah, and he he's like talking on the side of the door like, guys, I wrote a page, okay, this was really funny, <laughs> let me out. It's like, no dad, don't I, write. I understand what you were doing and I respect that, but also, uh, let me out, you guys. Yeah, they put their dad in timeout. Yeah, it was very hostage-y. Yeah, it was weird. Okay. Um, Nixu? Sure. You know these people that tell you everything about their mundane lives and it gets so boring and hard to listen to and you just want them to stop? Yeah, that's this book in a nutshell. Yep. <laughs> I think you, you jived with that, right? Yep. Crystal. The author also dragged things out in the most tormenting way. She would say at the beginning of a section that she had something important to write about, and then blither on with descriptions and details and such, and take forever to get to the part you actually wanted to know about. Don't we all have a friend or two like that? And when someone does that, it's annoying. I found myself starting to skim, then eventually skipping sentences, then paragraphs, then pages. I don't normally do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is pithy. Annika wrote, so, period, boring, period. <laughs> Do not in any way understand the five-star reviews. Also convinced it's me because most everyone who rated this book loves it, including a favorite author. Maybe I picked up the wrong book with the exact same name. <laughs> I was me. like, that's really desperate of you to be like, I bet I read the wrong book. I didn't read Because the there's right absolutely one. no way that people are talking about the same book that I that's read. Funny. That's I mean, literally impossible. The reasons you didn't like it makes sense to me. Yeah. Right? But did you think it was well written? I mean, I know you don't like the format. Yeah, I mean, for what it is, I'm, yeah. I think it was done well. I just didn't like anything about what it is. Just like, would you call it a matter of taste like I did for last week's book? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did find it to be really slow in places, okay. and abridging it makes sense to me, but slow... If somebody came That's to you... not wrong to make a novel really slow. Right. Like, I find that to be tedious and boring, but there are lots of books out there where I'm like, if that's how you want to do it, you know what? Go ahead. Yeah. You know? If somebody came to you and said, Stephanie, I know you read lots of books. You have a podcast. I want a book that's a romp in the British countryside. <laughs> a romp is probably... <laughs> that implies that it's exciting. I would like a cozy British story. An atmospheric British story. I would say this. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. for that specific reason. All right. And then we'll end with Amanda. Eh. Another book written by a writer about writing. Snore. <laughs> that She's not wrong. Writers do love to write about writing. There she's are not so wrong. many of those. Not wrong at all. She's exactly correct. Um, a couple of the reviews I read mentioned that. Yeah. So cool. All right. Well, glad to get us back on track. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> you might hate this book. We finally <laughs> hated a book. We've been liking way too much of each other's yeah. stuff. It's almost like we're becoming open-minded and oh, no. more expansive in what we enjoy. That can't happen. That's no. not what talking to people's for, Stephanie. I know. <laughs> I decided to barricade my mind and say, no, you cannot like this. I'm not going to go beyond the barricades. Okay. That's not a world we long to see. <laughs> Are you quoting something British at me? Well, Les Mis, but <laughs> it's so French. 
I knew that you had to be it's quoting fine. something it's obscure. Fine. <laughs> For next week, we're going complete opposite direction. I figured. Like, way opposite. Upgrade by Blake Crouch. Yes, I haven't started it. I know nothing about it except the design on the cover. I think that's so, a great way to go in. Go okay. in with no information. It is not a romp in the British countryside, <laughs> though. I can tell you that much. That, that's okay. We'll, we'll switch it up next week. Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love and the books we hate. You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a review and five-star rating. And don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon on patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Special thanks to the Montague Workshop. See ya! Diaries are your space dust bowls. <laughs>